Amen. Well, detox. I don't know about what that word does to you. It sends chills down my spine. I do believe in detoxing spiritually, but I have a problem with detoxing food. Uh, you've heard about the protein and the uh, and the, the carbohydrate and green meals, haven't you? We had a preacher come from the United States. They used to travel Australia quite a fair bit, and they just arrived in, and uh, his wife was into all this sort of stuff. The very first thing she said after she greeted us was what I didn't want to hear. I've got a new diet. And uh, I listened, and my wife was showing a lot of interest, and she said, it's a detox meal. They were talking together and then she said to me, we're going on a detox meal, a detox diet for a couple of weeks or a week or so while there's visiting preachers with us. So uh, I thought, well, at least it would be some food, but it turned out that for breakfast you got one hard-boiled egg. I looked forward for lunch because I believe we were going to have potato, but I got one boiled potato on my plate for lunch and then for evening meal a plate full of raw spinach <laughs> detox <laughs> anyway um, so the week went on and we there was slight variations to the meal slightly variations to the protein and and things like that. It seemed like the raw spinach stuck around though for every meal. Uh, and uh, so I would go down the church during the daytime and, uh, and the, the American preacher would come down with me and uh, I was a bit embarrassed because there wasn't a terrible lot for him to do. Um, and he used to say, look, just Brother Downs, look, just don't worry about me. He said, I'll just stroll down to the shopping centre and walk around the shops. So uh, several days he was doing that. Anyway, one day I said, well, I've got to go down to the Woolworths and get something, and uh, would you like to come with me? He said, yes, I can stroll around the shops while we're there. And uh, I said, well, I'll meet you back here in 10 minutes. Anyway, he wasn't back in 10 minutes, and I was standing there and waiting. I thought, what's he up to? He's only walking around the shops. Anyway, he came back and he said, oh, I don't know whether you'd be up to this, Brother Downs, but, you know, do you think we could go and have a donut? I said, that sounds pretty good to me, brother. <laughs> I said, let's go. <laughs> so uh, we got in the queue and then he stepped in. He insisted he was going to buy the donut for me. And the lady said, Oh, you really like your donuts, don't you? <laughs> he'd already been there that morning, and I reckon he'd been there every day that we were <laughs> Cheat, cheating on the detox. <laughs> oh, well, um, I don't know how he went, but I was very glad when our visitors left. <laughs> Particularly his wife with the... And every time they used to come back regularly back to Australia and preach around Australia and every time I used to just shake at the very thought of what would be the next, <laughs> the next fad, the next diet fad, you know. Amen. Well, it's fun to be a Christian, isn't it? Praise God. Well, I, uh, 
we'll, we'll see what God's going to do this morning. I have something here uh, in front of me, and um, I, I don't, I don't know uh, your hearts. I don't know your position, but I have been in the ministry long enough to know that uh, sometimes uh, people are on the mountaintop, and other times people are in the valleys. Every one of us have our mountaintop experiences and our valley experiences. We'll never get away from that. Uh, it can be a bit of a problem, though, if we're spending too much time in the valley, uh, particularly if something's keeping us in the valley. And, uh, you know, we need the refreshing of God. And sometimes we can just keep coming back to church and going through the process. And please keep coming back to church. Yes, that's important. Um, if you're not in church, you can never hear what God's saying. But sometimes we get in this routine and uh, we just keep coming back. But, but really, somehow, we just need to pierce the heavens and, and have another outpouring in our life. And, uh, you know, very often, it's when we're desperate, we're desperate, that we, we expect to come to church and click our fingers and, and pierce heaven and... and and God's refreshing is going to fall upon us. Well, it can happen that way. My experience is that uh, it doesn't usually happen that way because God wants us to love him by faith and not just because we, we shout a command and, and he pours out a blessing at that particular instant. Our thirst for God will determine our preparation to receive an outpouring. Every one of us know the important importance of, of water. I don't know uh, whether any of you have ever really, really thirsted for water. Um, I have a couple of times. I remember one particular occasion. I was on an army exercise, and uh, we uh, we were expecting uh, a caribou to drop in a large su- supply of water for. A, a large number of soldiers and uh, so we were all told to gather down there because we'd have to uh, ship this this water that was going to come down in plastic jerry cans it's going to be very interesting to see how they could drop plastic jerry cans out of an airplane and uh, anyway uh, so this this caribou came very very low over the top of the trees and uh, and and dropped a couple of parachutes down and only one can only one jury can of water survived. <laughs> survived it. And there were hundreds and hundreds of soldiers. Uh, so uh, obviously they were going to arrange for uh, for water to come, but it would have to probably come by road, and it would take some time. I can tell you honestly, um, we didn't really have much water left. But when we ran out of water, even the puddles on the ground looked very, very inviting. And uh, I remember. Uh, this was just in the bush on some tracks through the bush and things and occasionally you'd come across a puddle and I remember digging a hole in the middle of the puddle and just at getting a bit of depth and then scooping the water up and, and, and putting it in my, my canteen and then adding, uh, adding chlorine tablets to make it safe to drink. It was muddy but it was water and it was nice. Um, Sometimes in our Christian life we need to become desperate. We, we really don't know what it's like until you start feeling thirsty. And maybe here this morning you're going through a very difficult time 
Uh, maybe things have just not worked out for you the way that you would think that they should work out. Uh, maybe at work, uh, may not, maybe in your family, uh, maybe financially, whatever it is. God just does not allow us to be in these situations by accident. All things work together for good to those who love God. Amen? And whether we're having the good times or the bad times, we've got to take advantage of them to learn something and <coughs> to draw closer to God in that situation, to draw closer to the Lord Jesus. And uh, I've often said to people, uh, you have this, people have the saying, you've probably heard it, I'm on the bottom of the barrel. You ever heard that saying before? I'm on the bottom of the barrel. I have an answer for that. Well, when you're on the bottom of the barrel, there's only one place you can look up. And that is, that, that is to look up when you're on the bottom of the barrel. And sometimes we won't look up until we're very, very low. And, uh, and I, I believe sometimes you could almost hear the voice of the Lord saying, I've got your attention, finally. I've got you right where I want you so that you're looking up and you're crying out to me. It's a pity that we've got to allow it to happen that way, isn't it? But uh, we also must remember that in our life, God is not just preparing us for tomorrow or the next day. He's preparing our life for eternity. And, uh, and very often when we uh, maybe face financial difficulties or sickness or something in our life or maybe something drastic like cancer, uh, we, we often see that as being all totally adverse. Well, we certainly don't want to have cancer and we certainly don't want to have financial crisis. But in the midst of those, God can cause us to draw closer to him. And when something happens in your life, begin to think that way. What is God trying to do with me? What plan has Jesus got in my life through all this? Because the Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Obviously, if you don't love the Lord, well then, who knows what's happening. But if you love God, you're one of his children, and he cares for you. Amen. Now, I'm going to go to the Bible. Uh, I'm going to spend a bit of time in Second Kings uh, chapter 3 here this morning. I'll probably read a fair, fair bit of scripture to help you uh, understand the story. It's a story. Uh, it has a, uh, a spiritual meaning behind it. Everybody knows about Ahab and, uh, and his, his wicked wife. And uh, they had a son called Jehoram. And when Ahab died, uh, Jehoram became uh, the king of Israel. Uh, he destroyed the groves, the idols of his father, but uh, he put them away, got rid of them. But Jehoram did not really walk the ways of the Lord. In other words, he, he cleaned up the family to some degree but uh, got the idols of Baal uh, out of the groves and destroyed them, but still did not uh, really, really clean up his own life, and he led Israel 
uh, continue to lead Israel in a type of wickedness. Well, when Ahab was alive, uh, there was a king of Moab called Mesham. And Ahab and, uh, and Mesha got on fairly well together. However, after Ahab's death, then uh, there was not really any friendship between Jehoram and Mesha. And, and therefore, uh, uh, Moab became an enemy of, uh, of Israel. And this is, this is where we, we meet uh, this story. This is where we come to this story in 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5. And it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Uh, not only was there rebellion, but there were threats and dangers involved. So, we now go to verse 8. And he said... Uh, well, that, what they decided to do was to go up against Moab and uh, have to confront them because they were, they were really threatening. So uh, Jehoram decided to take some action. And, uh, and probably a bit more background here. He called upon Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So we have the king of Israel who was Jehoram, and we have the king of Judah, which was Jehoshaphat, so the divided kingdom. So in verse 8, and he said, which way shall we go up, that is to conquer them? And he said, the way through the wilderness of Edom. The way through the wilderness of Edom. Now they're going to go through Edom, they had to also uh, get the king of Edom on side as well. Now you know about the Edomites. The Edomites uh, originally were, were part of God's children, but because of wickedness, uh, they, they became, a, uh, as it were, a tribe of people of their own. But, however, we've got the king of we've got the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they're going to go up and go against Moab via the wilderness of Edom through the, the part of the territory of Edom. In verse 9, so the king of Israel went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they fetched a compass. That is, they made plans to travel seven days journey and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. So this route was an unusual route. It was not going to be a direct route. It was going to be around the Dead Sea and then up through the desert. And, uh, and historians who have studied this believe that the purpose of going this way was to surprise the Moabites. They would not expect their enemy to be coming up through the desert. So they were going to spring a surprise and uh, cause them to be ill-planned and, and, uh, and wipe them out accordingly. But there's only one trouble. You're going to have to go through the desert. Now... We don't, we, today in modern warfare, we have helicopters and, and things like that, and soldiers are, are brought in, they've got a pack on their back and, uh, and a gun in their hand, and, and they're ready to fight. Well, back in those days, it was not quite like that. 
In fact, when we read, we read about the, uh, the battle of, uh, of Israel and, uh, and Goliath, uh, we read there about David having to take cheese and food up uh, to the brothers. Well, back in those days when, when they went to war, there was uh, <laughs> not just soldiers went to war, there were, uh, they, they took their flocks with them and they had shepherds to go with them to look after the flocks and they had wagons and because they had to sustain themselves while they were out there uh, in the warfare. They, they took the animals, they had to slaughter the animals because there was no refrigeration. And so while they were in the battle, while they were away in the battle, there was a lot of other things, trappings that had to go along. So that's why here we read that, uh, that the animals were with them. And, uh, and so here we find that they're walking through the desert and they find themselves in a place where there's no water. No water for the soldiers to drink, no water for the cattle and the host that were with them. And by the way, I forgot, neglected to say very often, when they went to war, they took their family and wives with them as well. It was all part, uh, part of the way they went to warfare back in those days. So here they are in the desert. They've got no water. And chapter 3, verse 10, And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So here they are in the desert. They're saying, we're finished. God has caused us to fall into the hand of our enemy. We're going to die in the desert. We're going to have to ask our enemy for help, and they're going to slaughter us. So they're saying, divine judgment has come upon us. Now, I can imagine why they're thinking this, particularly uh, from Jehoram's point of view, because he wasn't a really good man. Yes, he destroyed the altars, the, the altars of Baal of his, his father, but he certainly wasn't a spiritual man and walking in the ways of God. Jehoshaphat uh, was a good man. His father had been a good man. And uh, as far as we can read in the Bible, Jehoshaphat seemed to be a man who walked in the ways of the Lord. And then we have Moab, which was sort of like a, um, an offshoot tribe that uh, possibly did wicked things. So we've got a, a real mix here of good people and bad people. So the king of Israel, he's, he's the wicked one, and he's saying, oh, judgment's come upon us. We're all finished. Uh, God's delivered us into the hands of our enemy. So they face this enormous obstacle. And uh, one of them said, Jehoshaphat, who was the spiritual man, said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Is there not here a prophet of the Lord. Well, what a strange thing to say. They're in the middle of the desert. Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? So even this, this wicked man all of a sudden realizes at this point of time he needs a word from a man of God. And uh, it's like many people. Oh, let's go to church this morning. We've got big problems. We need to hear from God. 
And, uh, and yes, that will be the case. Sometimes the Lord does answer. But just using the case about let's go to church, sometimes God will say, well, yeah, you do need to be in church, but I'll let you sit there for a number of weeks until I speak. <laughs> uh, because uh, God is not going to jump just because we snap our fingers and he has a bigger plan than that, okay? And so is there not a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of him? And one of the kings, King of Israel's servants, answered and said, Elijah, which poured water on the hands of Elijah, Elisha, which poured hands on the, the poured water on the hands of Elijah, is nearby. Wow, nearby. I don't know how far away. Doesn't say. So they they sought his help. This is Elisha. In verse twelve, and Jehoshaphat said. The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now I want to say right now, I'm not exactly sure if, if Jehoshaphat was a good king, what's he in the mix for? Why, why is he with the king of Israel who's not really a, he's quite a wicked man? And why is he with the Edomites? But anyway, it so happens he's decided to join in the fight and uh, said, my horses are your horses, we'll fight together. And, uh, and so Jehoshaphat said in verse 12, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, and the king of Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him. Verse 13, and Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? <laughs> so they front up to, the, to this man of God, and Elijah says, particularly looking at the king of Israel, what have I got to do with you? What are you here for? Can you just imagine uh, going to visit your pastor to get some, uh, get some spiritual advice and you haven't been in church for a year? And when you turn up for your spiritual advice, you say, well, who are you? I mean, we'd get pretty upset if, it, if our pastor said or that or a man of God said that today. But here back here is Elisha just saying, what have I got to do with you? He, he then says, get to, the, get to the prophets of your father. This is Ahab who worshipped Baal. And to the prophets of your mother. Okay. Why don't, you go, why don't you go to those gods? Go seek those gods, the God of your father and the God of your mother. He's obviously referring here to the king of Israel, Jehoram. He's obviously, that's the one he's addressing. Then the king of Israel said, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab, and God is going to punish us, and we need your help. You ever been in a place like this before? I think most people have. It's, we, we get in this mundane style of living, and and then something happens, and all of a sudden we're in church. Maybe we're in church all the time, but this time we're in church on Sunday morning. Say, this morning I've got to connect. This morning I have to really plug in. 
And this morning, because I'm in trouble, the pastor is going to speak a special message that will give me the answer. Or when I go to the altar and kneel at the altar and, and the elders come and lay hand on me, then I'm going to feel the power of God from heaven and everything's going to be all right from here on. Yeah? <laughs> well, well, yeah, we're a bit like that. We're human. We, we tend to think we can switch God on and off and tell him when he wants to, God to speak to us and when we need him. Well, I want to tell you that God's plan in our life is far greater than that. Far greater than that. He's not preparing you for today or tomorrow. He's preparing you for the rest of your life and for eternity. Amen. And you, you just think of it, the, the times that, that we have to punish our children. Not, we don't punish them because we hate them. We, we have to punish them and discipline them because we love them. We sometimes have to, have to cause a, a, a type of discipline in their life. You know, go and clean your room. An hour later, I told you to clean your room. What are you doing out in the backyard? Get in there and clean your room. So you come back an hour later and they're in the room. Yeah, they're in the room, but they're not cleaning the room. Clean your room! And uh, so we get to the point where we say, well, you know, no dinner tonight until your room's clean. Well, you know, mum and dad, they're, they're loving. They would never, ever let me go without a meal. They really love me. They, they'll cave in. They'll give in. Uh, I'll, I'll just do a bit of a quick job on the room and, and then I can, when mum and dad say, if I clean my room, I'll say, yeah, I clean, clean my room. But in actual fact, when you open the wardrobe, it's all just pushed in the wardrobe, you know. <laughs> well, we're, we're a bit like that in our life, isn't it? Aren't we? And then... Uh, and then... Then mum and dad say, well, that's it, you know. I, I'm, I'm awake up to what you're doing. I said you wouldn't be getting dinner unless you clean your room and you haven't cleaned your room, so there'll be no dinner tonight. Well, just because we're not going to have dinner for a night, we think we're going to die in the middle of the night. My son did that. About 8 o'clock at night, he opened the door and stuck his head out and said, if I die in the middle of the night, it will be your fault. Oh, you know, we, this uh, emotional business, how we work, we even emotionally work God over, don't we? Oh, Lord, how can I ever live for you if I've got to go through this? And, and these men, you know, sometimes when we, when we find ourselves in these situations, we really need to be looking at ourselves closely, uh, at our Christian life. How, are we still living for Jesus? Are we still loving him? Is it only just a repetitious behavior are we tidying the things up in our life that we should be attending to or are we just pretending by getting them out of sight and, and shoving them in the closet yeah i remember when i was a child my mother used to say have you made your bed yeah i made my bed and she'd come up and, and, and grab it and whoosh, it doesn't look too made to me it's all just the cover on the top you know, we try that as kids, don't we? Um, just try it when you get married. <laughs> so, 
situations can cause us to find ourselves in, having to face our life. And here the king of Israel is having to face the fact that he, he's not really led Israel in the way of God. So here he is asking Elisha for help. And in verse 14, and Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not even look your way. So the three kings are there, <laughs> and they've come, come, come to Elijah. It seems like the king of Israel is doing all the talk, Jehoram. And Elisha said, I wouldn't even look in your direction if it wasn't for the fact that one of you is Jehoshaphat and he's, he's fairly spiritual. It's good to have one or two spiritual people in the church, isn't it? <laughs> Particularly when you're in trouble. So, uh, I mean, I want you to understand here, even though it's not written in the Bible, that it appears that the man of God, Elisha, here was probably angry and upset. I don't think he was upset just because these men come down and troubled him. But I think he was upset that here we are at the last minute when they're really facing trouble, all of a sudden they want the man of God. Otherwise, they don't want me at any time. He's angry. How do I know he's angry? Well, he had to call for the music to come and quieten him down before he could give them. <laughs> it says it here in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it says, he said, but bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass that when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So that's telling me he probably just needed his spirit to be quietened down a little bit so that he could, fight, so that he could actually speak what God wanted him to speak. There's a bit of a lesson in this too. A bit of a lesson. You know, we often look at, at men in the ministry as being, uh, well, just, just suspended out of heaven, you know, up and down out of heaven all the time, you know. Uh, they're, they're just very spiritual men all the time. Well, I'm a, I'm a minister, and I can tell you sometimes I get upset. I start ask my wife. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, particularly, particularly when uh, my wife and I spend... Uh, Spend months and months and months trying to counsel somebody about uh, about their marriage. Spending a lot of time, we spend time, and then in the end, uh, we realise they really didn't want to listen to us. They just wanted our fingerprints on whatever they were going to do in their marriage or whatever they're going to do in their life. And then everything caves in, and we start getting telephone telephone calls at three o'clock in the morning. And, and, and everything desperately, please come around here. How do you think? Do you think I'm going to be... Oh, I'd love to go around and visit them. I'm so glad they're calling for our help. Now, you're probably thinking, I don't think I'll go. I've, I've tried to help them. I've tried to help them so much, but they're just a total deaf ear. But now they're really in trouble... I've got to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and go around to their house. Now, do you think ministers just 
I, I'm not saying what brother, brother Butcher would be like, but I'm just giving you a bit of a feeling here that even men of God sometimes have to get past their feelings before they can actually hear from God. You can't just snap your finger with a man of God either. Yeah. I'll tell the story, and it's probably not a very good story, but it's, it's true. My wife and I were dealing, a lady came into the church, and uh, she was uh, living with a boyfriend. And uh, she wanted to come to church. She'd been baptized. And so she told her boyfriend he'd have to move out, which was the right thing. Well, he didn't want to become a Christian, and so he decided that he would use the old method of uh, psychological uh, persuasion and said he's going to commit suicide. She said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you live with me anymore. I'll, I'll commit suicide. Well, we don't want to see anybody commit suicide, but this particular man, he threatened... Uh, and my wife and I for a whole week were getting worn out because every day we'd come home and he's going to commit suicide so we had to go and so uh, I uh, I said to my wife I said let's let's go out for a night let's get away from the telephone we'll go somewhere have dinner together nobody will know where we are So we chose a Chinese restaurant and we're sitting in the Chinese restaurant just ordering our meal. And the manager of the Chinese restaurant comes over and says, are you the Reverend Downs? I said, yes. He said, well, there's a man who wants to speak to you on the telephone. I said to my wife, who knows how, we, how do they know we're here? <laughs> he said, pastor, this is me, such and such. He said, I'm sitting on the front lawn. Oh, no, sorry, it was his, his girlfriend <laughs> uh, said, he's sitting on the front lawn and he's got a can of petrol and he's going to pour it on himself and set himself alight. So I said, put him on the telephone. So she, she walked out with the telephone and gave the telephone to him and I'm thinking, this is what pastors do sometimes. I said, hello, what are you up to? He says, I'm going to douse myself in petrol I'm going to commit suicide. So I said, well, I've just actually ordered my meal. Can you wait until I've finished? <laughs> he said, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> he wasn't going to commit suicide. But, of course... Some people could judge that situation as being very dangerous. But you know, it's amazing how we treat God sometimes. Just think about it when you start praying and asking God to do things in your life and for you. Are you just try, trying to have some sort of psychological persuasion with God that, oh, you have to help me, how could you ever do without me and all that sort of thing? But after all, God is working out a plan. Anyway, 
So the man of God has the instruments play and all of a sudden God speaks to him. And he says in verse 16 to the people, make this valley full of ditches. Then in verse 17 he says, for thus saith the Lord, you shall see no wind, neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be full with water that you may drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. So here they are in the valley. Why did God, why did God speak through the man of God and say dig ditches? Because God was going to send rain and it wasn't going to come with any warning. And when it rained, it was just going to go straight down that valley. God was saying, dig ditches, dig holes in the ground because I'm going to send rain. There's not going to be any warning, but you've got to dig the ditches and let me take care of the rest. Well, I don't know about you, but digging ditches in a valley is not too easy. So there's got to be a bit of work here. There's got to be a bit of faith that the man of, what the man of God has said from God is actually going to happen. And there's going to be a bit of sweat so very, very often when God's going to speak to us, he's just not going to send that rain because it just goes, whoosh, we have a great good feeling getting wet, but then there's nothing to drink. He said, dig ditches. And, and God fulfilled his promise. He sent that rain, and because they dug the ditches, as the water came down the valley, it stopped in the ditches and they had water there to drink for themselves and for their cattle. What I'm telling you here this morning is yes, God will send the rain when we desperately need the refreshing. But some of us need to dig ditches. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they waited. Probably not too long because they would have all uh, thirsted death. The animals would have died. But they dug the ditches and God gave that miraculous provision. The enemy was still to be conquered. But there was a temporary reprieve because they obeyed and dug the ditches. Several things here. Number one, we had a mix of three men. One was ungodly, one was godly, and, and who knows about the other one, which was sort of an offshoot of, uh, of the people of God, an unusual sort of a tribe. Probably had unusual behavior about them as well. Then they all decided to go to war together. All of a sudden they realized... Only when they're going to war, they realize their spiritual state. You may be here this morning thinking, well, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really full on for God here this morning, but I'm, I'm not really bad either. I don't know who I'm speaking to, maybe nobody, but that's, that's the sort of attitude we can have, isn't it? But all of a sudden... Bang, we find ourselves in a critical situation. We, need, we have to turn to God. We've got to go to the man of God. We've got to hear, hear from God. 
How many times has uh, a minister, a pastor said when people come to see him, uh, and Brother Slack used to do this, very first thing he would say when people wanted to take up his time, he'd say, well, have you prayed about it? I said, no. He said, well, don't come to me until you've prayed about it. So well, what's the use of talking about it if they haven't prayed about it? But I know very often uh, when we're counselling people, my wife will say, well, uh, well, well, we'll pray and fast for three days and then we'll get back together again. Oh, pray and fast for three days? Well, my wife's pretty blunt. She'll say, well, how much do you want an answer to your problem? Are you really desperate or you just want a, a, a quick service right here? Because praying and fasting is actually drawing close to God, you know, and there's more to be fixed up than just the problem. Well, they, as it were, they didn't really get their quick fix because the prophet of God said dig holes. They had to get out there, bend their back and, and dig some holes in the valley. All by faith, knowing that, yes, he's a man of God, and the answer would come. And it did come. And eventually, they won the battle. But friends, sometimes when we live in the Christian life, we, and we're in church, our approach to things, things are too simplistic. We have a God, and he hears us all the time, and because he hears us all the time, therefore he's going to answer straight away. It doesn't work that way. If it does for anybody here, I'd like to know you because it doesn't work that way for me. Some things in my life I've had to pray for years about and just trust God that sometime down the road I would get an answer. But what if the answer is not the answer that I'm hoping I'll get? Well, part of the waiting, that's the development, that's the process of, of getting us ready. Because the more you have to wait on God for the answer, the more you'll then become ready for whatever he tells you, whether it's, whether it's what you want or whether it's not what you want. And then in the middle of all this, sometimes we try to make, try to help God out with the answers. Abraham tried that and they had Ishmael. We're still suffering with that problem in the world. You don't have to help God out. The only way you can help yourself out is to seek the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Desire him. Desire him above the answer. Desire him above any situation. Let him be the focus of your life. Concentrate on him and say, Lord, whatever comes out of this, it's got to be for your glory. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. Whatever happens here. I know I want to feel comfortable and I want to feel, uh, I want to feel satisfied with the answer and I want it to suit me. But Lord, Jesus, I know, I know, it's probably not going to suit me because I've got a carnal mind and you know better than me. 
I see so many people in church wrestling, very often wrestling with problems in their lives. And usually it's because God has to work out the problem their way and not his way. You will never, you will have that, you will continue to wrestle with that problem. It's got to be God's way. Amen? I want to finish this morning by saying, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never leave you or forsake you. We are his sons and daughters. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of love. Never forget that. He's got no trick up his sleeve. We are his beloved. And we just have to leave things with him. It's not God who needs to change. We need to change. He wants to bless you. He wants to manifest himself in your life. But remember that while you're walking through life, there are a lot of lessons to learn to prepare you for eternity, to live and reign with him in eternity. Amen? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Sometimes I think we would probably receive our answers a little bit quicker if we start praising the Lord for whatever situation we're in. So thank you.